Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name's Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. When I was younger and I headed off to college, I, for some reason or another, and I I tried to rack my brain over how this fully happened, but I really got into movies and maybe even more specifically, DVDs. Now, it wasn't necessarily going and seeing movies the night they came out. I did that a couple times, but for some reason, as I mentioned, DVDs, that was like my thing. And I would go to Best Buy, I would get the little pamphlets that you would read about the upcoming movies. I would even go to I'll go to Walmart at midnight so that the day before when they were released, like, how crazy is that? And then I would go home, this is even crazier, I would then go home and watch said DVDs. I can barely watch a movie after like 4 p.m. these days without falling asleep, but I did it. So I would collect all these movies. I had a friend who referred to me as Will Busters uh, because I had just all these DVDs in my room and people would come and borrow them and, you know, all this. Well, one movie in particular that became one of my favorites was Fifty First Dates with Adam Sandler. Y'all familiar with this movie? It's a cute little movie. If you're not familiar with it, basically Adam Sandler, he meets Drew Barrymore in this case, and it ends up that he kind of falls for her, and they meet in a cafe, and he kind of flirts with her a little bit, and she seems to take a liking to him as well. Well, he thinks, okay, this is great. I've already made a great first impression. I'm going to show up the next day, and I'm going to, you know, build on this relationship. Well, he gets a bit of a surprise when he shows up the next morning, and she doesn't remember meeting him. She doesn't remember any of their conversations. She doesn't remember any of it. Come to find out, she was in a car accident and essentially suffers from amnesia, where every night she would go to sleep, and she would wake up not remembering the day before. And this continued on and on and on. Thence, you know, thus titled 50 First Dates. He had these 50 First Dates with her over and over again. There's some plot twists, there's some turns, a super cute movie, but I would check, you know, suggest check it out if you get a chance. But it's just that, a movie, right? Nothing like this can happen in real life, right? Well, I did a little bit of digging, and turns out it can. Loosely based on the life of Michelle Philpotts, She suffers from amnesia from two car accidents, and every day she wakes up believing that she's still 24 years old. You can see her here. She's from Lincolnshire, England, and she has these notes that she's written to herself to remind her what has happened in life ever since this car accident. I don't know about you all, but had I not heard about this, I would have thought, no way this could happen, right? This is fiction. This is just make-believe. And I think I'm probably not alone in that, right? There's so many things that we are presented with. There's so much information that comes our way. It's pretty easy to be a little bit doubtful of some of these things. Who considers themselves to be a trusting person? You hear about it? Yeah, this is pretty accurate. Anyone? Anyone want to admit it? Okay, we got a couple hands. Okay. Who considers themselves maybe a little bit more doubtful? Uh, I, I need a little bit more evidence. Who would look at the ceiling if I said gullible is written up there? No? Okay. Um, 
This is a fun little tip. If you're not sure what your friends are or your family members are, when they leave your house next time they're over, text them that they left their phone there. And if they show back up, you know they're a pretty gullible person. <laughs> Even more bonus points is if you take a photo of it, like if they like leave it around the house, like take a photo of it, and they'll be like, my phone. And you're like, oh yeah. So anyway, you'll try it, try it, try it. But in this day and age, we get so much information. You know, we hear about the news instantaneously. And so much of it can seem often stranger than fiction. And that's what happens in the story of Thomas, who's called Doubting Thomas. And we hear about this in John 20, when Jesus has shown himself to some of the other disciples and the women who he encountered in the garden, but Thomas just doesn't believe it. But what happens when that doubt shows up in your own life? Maybe it even shows up in your faith. Well, we're going to talk about that. We'll pick up on verse 24 through 29 here in John 20. It says this, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. And when we read this story, it is called Doubting Thomas, and he is known mostly for his doubt. But we see Thomas show up actually in earlier sections of the Gospel of John twice, once in the upper room, but then there's another time we encounter Thomas, and this is the first speaking part that he has, where he first talks, and we see this in John 11. What's happened, basically, is Jesus is wanting to go back to Judea, and the religious leaders of the time were not happy with Jesus, and so the disciples are cautioning him, don't go, it's not going to be good, you're not going to be safe, but Jesus, despite that, says, you know what, we're going to go. And so Thomas then chimes in, and he says this, this is John 11, verse 16, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Now, how do you read that? There's some debate on this. You know, he says this, let's go too and die with Jesus. You know, is he a bit skeptical in saying this? Is he a little bit hesitant, thinking this is, this is a trap we're walking into, don't do it? Or is this Thomas kind of issuing a rally cry? Let's go. This is Jesus, our master, our savior, our leader, Let's go with them, and if we die, we die. Well, there is some debate, as I mentioned, some scholarly debate on where Thomas is on this. But one thing I think we can agree on is the fact that he's mentioned the twin. Again, can we put that verse back up there? It says, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said this to his fellow disciples. So we have him as a twin, but we have no re reference of any siblings. We don't hear about another brother or a sister, or anybody else. We have Thomas, nicknamed the twin, twice. So we have no biological evidence that he's a twin. And this is the Gospel of John, who we know kind of writes in layers. 
There's always a little bit more. There's always a little bit more theology packed into that. Probably what John was referencing is that Thomas wasn't necessarily a biological twin with siblings, but more so of two minds, a twin of two minds, probably unsure where he landed within belief and unbelief. And so I think in seeing Thomas, not so much as doubting, maybe we could see Thomas as indecisive, unsure, because we can see doubt as sort of the no man's land in the middle between faith and unbelief. It's not the opposite of faith, but more so that in-between. In fact, the word for doubt that is used when talking about Thomas is distazo, which means to waver or to hesitate, not making decision right away. When I was in Indianapolis, uh, we had dinner one night uh, with a professor at the local college, um, and he was a professor of psychology. And I was just kind of talking to him about myself, sharing a little bit of who I am. And one thing that I shared about myself is I sometimes, I'm a little bit slow to make a decision. I, I, I just, I, I kind of waver a little bit. And we got to the point where he said, it sounds like you have analysis paralysis. Analysis paralysis. You have so much information that you're just trying to comb through all of it. You don't make a decision. You do hesitate. You do wait. But that's not Thomas. Thomas gets information, but he still wants more. He still needs more evidence. And he gets good evidence too, right? These are his disciples, the other disciples that share this information. When I was growing up, uh, my sister, uh, she said, Will, when you grow up, I hope that you're a lawyer. And I said, why? Well, is that very reason? Because I always asked, why? Whenever my mom said to do anything, I would say, why? Will, we need to get ready for bed. Why? You needed dinner. Why? You need to brush your teeth. Why? Well, ultimately, she would get to the point where she would respond with either one of two things. She would either say, I'm the mom. That's why. Yeah? Any of those? You said that in here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anybody had that said to them? Oh, yeah. Or she would say this, because I said so. Because I said so. I'm getting pretty good at that myself, actually. But I would always ask that question of why, 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 why? And speaking of evidence, if you have a court case where you have 10 plus eyewitnesses, the disciples and the women in the garden who see Jesus, that shows things up pretty well, doesn't it? That should say, okay, yeah, this event did take place. We've got 10 plus witnesses. But again, Thomas still needs more. And these are his closest friends. These aren't just random people. These are people that Thomas we assume, trusts, but he still needs more information like we see in verse 25. Unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side, I won't believe. And this is the moment. This is the grace-filled moment. This is the turn of the story. This is that beautiful moment where Jesus says, Okay. All right. Jesus doesn't get mad. Jesus doesn't lash out. Jesus doesn't scold him, send him away. He says, you need more evidence? Okay. And he meets him in his doubt. Doesn't reprimand or anything else like that. He meets him in his doubt, as verse 27 says. Then he said to Thomas, 
Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. And what does that mean for us? I think first thing, we see this in countless other stories in the Gospels and all over the Bible, is that doubt happens. It happens. We're always going to have doubt. We're always going to have a little bit of unknown, and we're always going to be a little bit unsure with so many things, with our relationships. Maybe you're first starting out in a romantic relationship, and you kind of wonder, you know, where are we? What are we? Are you taking this more seriously than I am? We used to call that DTR, define the relationship. Anybody else do that? No? Okay. Neither in the other service as well. But yeah, we would say DTR, define the relationship. What is this? But there was that doubt that was there. We wanted to know where the other person was because we don't have all that information. We don't know what all they're thinking. And sometimes it might even come to a situation where you say, I, might, I need a little bit more. I need to know where your head's at in all of this. But even within that doubt, we see in this story, other stories as well, is that we can approach Jesus with our doubt and in our doubt. In Mark 9, we have a father whose son is sick and demon-possessed, and he brings him to Jesus, asking for Jesus to heal him. And Jesus responds, saying, anything is possible for those who believe. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my belief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Again, Jesus doesn't push him away. He heals his son. He meets him in his doubt. The father crying out, help me in my unbelief. Because lastly, this is helpful for me, but I think doubt can be viewed as a tool to either build or destroy our faith. Dave Ramsey, a Christian financial guru, he kind of references money in that sense. Money can be used like a brick to either build your life or to destroy your life. You can use it for good and build upon it, or you can use it for harm and to destroy your life. And I think we can see the same thing with doubt. We're going to have the doubt that comes our way and we can either use that to build upon our faith, to place our trust in Jesus, or we can use it to waver and ultimately never make that commitment of faith because we're not going to have all the information. The Apostle Paul talks about that. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. We can use our doubt. We can see this as opportunities, as breeding ground, as the place to make or break, to move our faith towards, or yeah, take our doubt and move towards faith. Just as Hebrews 11 says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. Many of you may know this, maybe some of you don't, but my father passed away about 12 years ago from cancer. Not the first round of cancer, not the second round of cancer, but the third round of cancer. Happened when I was about 10, happened when I was in my early 20s and ultimately took him out 
when I was about 25. I remember a very specific story my mom told me where they were in the throes in the second round of treatment plans. They're in the doctor's office. The doctor's going over, you know, we're going to have to do this for chemo. We're going to have to do this for radiation. We're going to have to do this for bone marrow transplant. And he's going on and on and on. Just this overwhelming treatment plan. And my mom said, my dad's over in the corner listening, but he's just kind of doodling on a legal yellow pad of paper. I can see him doing it right now. He was an architect, so an artist, and he's doodling over here, just going on and on. And then the doctor, he says, you know, we can do everything on our end. We can provide you with all of this, but there's still an unknown. It might not work. It might not be enough. You're going to have to do your part too. And my mom said, my dad just kind of carelessly, almost a little bit playfully, took the pad of paper and threw it just on the table so the doctor could see it. And he had written one word, one word scribbled it on there, faith. He said, Doc, this is what's going to get me through. This is the unknown that I'm placing my trust in. This is the firm foundation that sets me above. God's got me in this. And it did. It got him through that second round. But God bless him, the third round got him. But it's that faith that he had placed his trust in time and time again, the first round, the second round, that carried him through. It's the faith of our ancestors that saw them do so many incredible things through the book of the Bible that we get to read about over and over again. And when we place our trust in Jesus we see that it is a firm foundation we can stand upon. We can base our life on it. It's the assurance of the things that we can't see. Because just as Jesus said, blessed are those who don't see and believe. Blessed are we. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the life of Thomas, as he worked through his doubts, we see that you gracefully met him. You didn't send him away. You didn't scold him. But you met him with love. God, I would pray for all of those who are in this room. They see their doubts, that they don't see them as something that can't be talked about, God, but something that they can openly and honestly hand over to you much like the demon-possessed Father God. Because you will meet us, even in our doubts, like the loving parents you are. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.